With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And you're listening to Chronicles from the Crypt. <laughs> there, I'm Casualty Chris. And this is Father Malone. And we are the hosts of Chronicles from the Crypt, a twice-a-month look at the cult horror anthology series, Tales from the Crypt, that originally aired on HBO from 1989 to 1996. Now, before you check the title of this podcast again, yes, we are talking about Creep Show, the recently revived series based on the film... The, the, the amazing film, the first film, not the second, and definitely not the third, which most of you may just have realized now that that was a thing, the original film from 1982. So we're going to be covering that series in, it is ti- in its entirety as a little bonus to you, our faithful listener, and to join us in that journey into the land of hopefully good Shudder Creepshow, our friend, award-winning screamwriter, and yes, I can use it on this podcast because there's puns, Jess Byard. Hello. I've been waiting for I'm you so to be happy on I get here. To be on the pun. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to be on here so I could say that because I posted it on Facebook <laughs> a while ago, but I wanted to use it like in an actual podcast setting. So, uh, yeah. So I think before we get started on talking about the first episode of Creep Show, we should probably talk a little bit about kind of our exposure to the original film in from 82 so Jess since you are our guest what is your feelings towards the original creep show movie from 1982 uh creep show I mean we we've talked a lot about the three of us have talked a lot about this movie off the air just because we wanted to do this podcast and we're not probably going to actually do a full episode on the movie but creep show is oh. probably don't assume that Creepshow is, like, damn near a perfect movie to me. I love anthology films, per, I mean, especially horror anthologies. It's a genre, it's like a subgenre that has been pretty much in existence since horror became a thing. And the art, like, the ability to put together the right kind of stories that fit a certain mood, that fit a certain time, it's, it is an art form. You have to 
consider so much else than having one story that you're following continuously. You have to keep the audience engaged through multiple stories. You have to be able to segue those stories well that makes us, you know, makes sense and is engaging and adds its own element to the story. And I think that Stephen King and George Romero coming together on that movie was probably one of the those instances in movie magic where it's just the right people hit at the right time and you get creep show i like creep show too as well i know i'm in the minority that's fine but creep show the original is just it's it's a masterpiece everything about it pops off the screen everything about it is just all of the talent that it, for me where this movie, where that movie really excels is it hits every, like, horror beat perfectly, and it's fueled by these classically trained actors in some cases, or whether they're theater actors or they're just seasoned film actors, whatever. You have a fantastic cast that is giving it all they have in every single one of the segments, no matter how ridiculous or, you know, off the wall it is. All of these actors came together. And made a fantastic... It's just, like I said, it's the right amount. It's the right people, right time. Everything happened perfectly. What about you, Father Malone? Oh, where do I begin? Um, Okay, so 1982, I was nine years old. Now, before I knew that there was a movie coming out, uh, there was a a chain of... uh, Kind of like Target of its day in Massachusetts called Almy's, and uh, they had a book and magazine section that my mother would just deposit me at while she was shopping. And I actually found the, I guess it's a novelization, not technically, it's a, a comic bookization of Creep Show that was done by Bernie Wrightson. And uh, I, I, uh, I read the whole thing just sitting there uh, waiting, and I was. Uh, uh, completely amazed by it um and then of course on the back it says now a major motion picture um so i had to wait a few months before it came out but uh, i insisted even uh even though every adult said do not take him to see this movie uh i i actually saw creep show in the theater um and i gotta say there's a like i i over the years have uh, purchased every iteration of the Creep Show poster. Uh, I have all of them. Uh, the one piece of promotion that I wish I had uh, at the time, they did a standee in the theater, and it was a cardboard version of the crate, and it just said, "What's inside the Creep Show crate?" Uh, so that. Th- There's a little too much information, but this was my first introduction to Creepshow. And like you, Jess, I think it is, in fact, a perfect movie. It is absolutely lightning in a bottle that you got two absolute giants in horror at the top of their game uh, who found a common ground to come together. And the common ground in this case being their love of EC Comics, which is what this show is all about. Um, And uh, I think their take on it is absolutely spectacular. Uh, And Chris, you and I have talked about this a lot about uh, sometimes you read a screenplay and it's as boring as fuck. But the, if you read the screenplay for Creepshow, it is entertaining as all get out. And uh, and you can see how much King loves EC Comics. Um, and, you know, he kind of clearly sat down and went, okay, what kind of stories did EC traffic in? Let's do one of those and one of these and one of these. And he adapted a couple of his short stories for it. Um, but they were perfectly in keeping with the EC tradition uh, as it were, I do not. Uh, uh, I uh, Creepshow Two. I also saw in the theater. Uh, I was uh, massively disappointed by it um, as a kid, but uh, I've, it's uh, grown in my estimation over the years. It's got a lot of problems, but it's certainly not as bad as Creepshow Three, which is utter and total garbage. 
there. Maybe. I don't even know if I actually got to an actual segment in that one or not, or if I just got through maybe the first half of the wraparound. But yeah, that that movie's trash. It's horrible trash. Yeah, it's one of those situations where clearly like a guy wrote a horror anthology and then got in touch with people who owned the rights to Creepshow and allowed them to do it. You know, when Creepshow right. was being made, they initially, uh, you know, they were shopping it around. It ended up at Warner Brothers who let them do what they want. But initially they almost had a deal at Paramount. But Paramount's idea was, okay, we'll let you do this. We'll give you the budget. We'll give you whatever you want. But it has to be the Twilight Zone because we own the rights to the Twilight Zone. And Creepshow 3 smacks of uh, somebody accepting that particular deal, whereas King and Romero were like, no, we're doing our own thing. Which, thank God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Chris, what is your first introduction to Creepshow? Hello? Hi. Sorry, I was just hey. racking. I'm racking my memory. So I have only yeah. seen Creepshow once. Um, oh, Jesus. Sorry, calm your <laughs> cool your jets, as my dad would say, or calm your horses, as my mom would say. I have calm not your liver. That's what we used to say. <laughs> I, is that is that a colloquialism for something? Uh, well, no, that's a Boston thing for just calm the fuck down. But calm your liver. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. Whatever. <laughs> is that like drinking an egg cream or some shit? Sorry. Calm your liver. <laughs> Calm your liver. Um, or uh, you know, I've only seen it once, and I remember liking it. I mean, look, it has Hal Holbrook in the the crate, which is uh, I think, if I remember correctly, my favorite story from the movie. Uh, Hal Holbrook is in a lot of great films. I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Fletch lives. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Sorry. I, if you could hear me, I'm grinning <laughs> because. Yeah. Go fuck yeah. yourself. There oh, it is. Oh, see, There's there it natural. is. There it yeah. is. I did it. It is done. No, I'm. It's one of those movies where I remember watching it. And I remember liking it a lot. And then when I remember they uh, like last year they announced maybe it was this year. It feels honestly like they announced everything for Creepshow this year, and it just happened to appear on Shutter. Uh, when they announced everything, I was like, well, this could be another interesting addition into what is seemingly a growing amount of these anthology TV series. I mean, Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, uh, Reboot, which is fucking trash of the highest order. So we're talking about things that are trash. The Twilight Zone, uh, Tales from the Crypt at one point was going to be rebooted. It ended up not getting rebooted. Fingers crossed it doesn't get rebooted. Uh, but that's for personal reasons because I just don't see that turning out well. But you just don't want to have to keep doing this podcast. <laughs> well, no, no, we're going to keep doing this podcast once we're done with Tales from the Crypt. It's more of I know what Tales from the Crypt in 2019 looks like, and it's not going to be good. Yeah. So, uh, so I remember liking the movie, but I don't have like a I don't have like a very nostalgic angle to come at this with. So it's just like I remember I liked the movie. It was something I had watched at one point. It didn't. It's not one of those movies that I have like any distaste towards. Uh, but it's just one of those movies that I haven't seen it enough to have an opinion on. However, I did rewatch it before we did this episode so that I could give myself a better idea of to kind of what I was getting myself into talking about the TV series. And obviously, I liked it a lot. It's fantastic. So I have seen it twice. Once prior to this. Once for this. It's great. It's fantastic. All the stories are good. And like you mentioned, Mike, it has a little bit of each of the things. It's not just a monster story all throughout. It's a monster story and a love triangle story and kind of a really weird Stephen King story like with him in it. So before we talk about the TV show, 
I would suggest you go out and watch the movie to kind of give yourself the mind frame of what this show is going to be. But let's not kid ourselves. It's very close to Tales from the Crypt. It's pretty Which close is to the Tales TV the series or this? Uh, Creep Show, the movie and the TV series, is pretty close to Tales from the Crypt. Oh yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's his source inspiration. So right. uh, it, it would it would be a failure if it wasn't. So uh, we're going to talk about the first episode of Creep Show. Uh, that episode is broken into two segments: Gray Matter and the House of the Head. So the first segment, Gray Matter, is directed by Greg Nicotero. It is based off of a Stephen King short story out of, I believe. Oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Is it out of Night Shift? I think it is. It is. Um, it yes. is out of Night Shift. And uh, these, this episode with these two segments aired on September 26th, 2019. Like I mentioned, it is directed by Greg Nicotero. Greg Nicotero uh, is the producer. I guess he's also the showrunner for the show. It would seem um, his name and branding is kind of all over everything you'll go and read about the show. The episode stars Adrian Barbeau, Tobin Bell, Jesse C. Boyd, and Giancarlo Esposito. Yes, Adrian Barbeau was in the original Creepshow movie, which is a fantastic little callback. No, she is not given anything to do in this episode segment, which is unfortunate. So, Jess, what did you think of this first segment of the first episode of the Creepshow reboot? Uh, uh... <laughs> I was, let's just say I'm, uh, we'll be happier when we get to the second one. But this one, I don't know. I was really, I, I have read the story. It's been a long time since I've read Night Shift. Um, but I, I remember this not being really a story that I was particularly fond of to begin with. Merely because there's really nothing happening. It's really just, at least, especially in the show version, you're just being told about some events that happen right up to where we're at now. Which is really boring for something that's supposed to be like a show or a movie. You, you need to be watching them doing things. Um, this is also, I don't know, it felt, it felt really like Greg Nicotero was like, here, this is a Stephen King thing. And I'm going to make it, try and make it feel as Stephen King-like as I possibly can. But somehow I'm going to like just zap all of the character and charm out of the actual characters. <laughs> because like you said, Chris, Adrian Barbeau and pretty much Tobin Bell, everybody else, has virtually nothing to do in this story, aside from the kid who's telling the story about his dad who's an alcoholic and has, you know, now transformed into some sort of being because of his alcoholism, and Tobin Bell and Esposito are just on their way to go find the creature. Basically, you're just waiting for the gag at the end of it is what you're doing this entire time. There's no story. There's nothing interesting really happening to push it along. You just know where we're going and you're waiting for it to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what you think, Father Malone, but I I think we've said this before, Mike. Um, It's weird that they led with this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we say that at the beginning of every season of Tales from the Crypt. uh, (laughs) We sure do, don't we? Including season four, which we just started on. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird thing. I mean, look, it's clear, as Jess said, it's like, let's lead with a Stephen King story because he did Creepshow and he's got the cachet and we'll let people know we're not fucking around. We're uh, we're being more reverential to the series than uh, than recently has been done. Um, 
Unfortunately, they led with one of his most clumsy stories. You know, King has a, a thread through most of his short fiction and his, you know, massive novels uh, about dealing with alcoholism. This is, uh, in my mind, just a clumsy metaphor for alcoholism where it actually turns you into a massive, you know, slimy goo, uh, which was all that happened in the in the original short story. They they go kind of crazy here with uh, with the with the with the potential of this uh, particular uh, malady uh, would entail. But um, as you said, it's it's a lot of people talking, just sitting around and telling stories, which is fine um, if we get to have our characters be more uh, participatory, which they're not. You said it, it is, in fact, everyone just kind of reacting uh, to what has already happened or is happening currently. Uh, I think they thought they were being more clever than they were with the cross-cutting of the uh, of the original story being told with the guys uh, on their own um, uh, investigating it. Um, I, I don't want. I don't think it's a, like a one hundred percent misfire. I think it's better than um, uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, sort of anthology shows we've gotten recently, uh, certainly better than anything in Creepshow 3, probably better than a couple of the stories in Creepshow 2. However, oh, oh no, I, what I do want to praise is I, I did like the fact that it's clearly a period piece. It, it seems as if it takes place in like 1972 or something like that, which was an odd choice. But uh, Well, judging God from the beer the, cans, it must have been. Yeah, I mean, they got the pull tabs on them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I really appreciated that. I think it's really shot very well. Uh, we always complain about Tales from the Crypt, like you know, you know you're in trouble when they're clearly standing on a set that was you know the paint is still drying. <laughs> uh, this looked good. I mean, there, you know, there's some shots in this where it's completely uh, lit by flashlight. Uh, I thought that was all really good. Uh, I thought it, it, it built up a little bit of suspense here and there. Um, all the performances are good, as you said, Adrian Barbeau. Uh, I was so happy to see her name in the credits, but um, not not given much to do at all. Um, and uh, I I don't know. It's okay. What what did you think, Chris? But before we get to the second segment, we got to talk about the, the opening of this thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Gotta, I was gonna say, about, before we get to the second yeah. segment, dog, I haven't even gotten to say anything. <laughs> what? I, I no no no. I'm but saying I, no no I'm no. Saying, I'm just kidding. Let's just finish kidding. this off. But we got to talk about the whole thing because. <laughs> Uh, we leapt right into the first story. Well, the the thing about this is, is I honestly, I came to this podcast to fight you guys about how much I liked the first segment. And the more I thought about it. And then and, we changed your mind. <laughs> no, no, so here's the thing. Y- y'all changed my mind, but also j- the thing about this, this segment is just watching it again should change your mind. It is not great. Honestly, it's it's kind of disappointing because... You have Creepshow, the name, which has some weight to it. You have Greg Nicotero, who clearly loves the source material, who is a who is a who is a a fantastically talented effects man. Clearly knows what he's doing behind the camera. He's a Walking Dead guru, <laughs> according to some clickbait <laughs> articles. Uh, go fuck yourself, Screen Rant or whatever bullshit website put that. And I was like Polygon and CNN. And like God, because Walking Dead is important in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, newsflash, it's fucking not. Um, so you've got all these things that should be good. You've got a Stephen King source material that's okay. It. You know what it strikes me of, Mike? It almost reminds me of how clumsy Kentucky Rye was with its message. Yeah. It's like you're Absolutely. not teaching anyone anything about alcoholism by being like, if you drink alcohol, you might actually accidentally get like a mutant mutagen in your beer and become a monster. Like, what? 
the fuck? <laughs> okay. So, you know, it's very much a story about alcoholism and how it affects people's lives. And then you have, like you said, Tobin Bell, who we were talking about this before we started podcasting. Jigsaw, he's like the best part of some of those later Jigsaw movies. Giancarlo Esposito, who, look, I know I'm not a big fan of Breaking Bad. Go ahead and fucking tie me to a... <gasps> Tie me, Hold on. Tie me to it's, a stump and kill me. I think me. it's just okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so tie us both to a stump and throw us over Niagara Falls or whatever you do to hair. Pretty much. I'm, yeah. I'm going to because you're both wrong. That's a great show. That's fine. <laughs> We're allowed to be wrong. That's what makes us – That's what makes I, I actually think Better Call Saul is better, but that's neither here nor there. I do want to say with this segment, I think that like – what Chris, you said it intercutting or talking about intercutting like the stories back and forth. I think that honestly, they might have thought that it was helping, but I think it just it it exposed a problem that I have with this series as it is right now, and that these episodes are really short. And I feel like them cutting back and forth kind of eliminated any option they had to really like get time to know any of these characters. Because we're just running back. I mean, Giancarlo Esposito and Tobin Bell are basically just yelling, like, repeated phrases over and over again because they're looking for this guy. And that's the majority of their character. Adrian Barbeau is doing the same thing, pretty much. Just saying, oh, honey, that's terrible. Oh, no, that's terrible. Like, it's just... And then what happened? Yeah, exactly. And I kind (laughs) of feel like this story could have been maybe, like, if it were a movie setting, like, if this were a movie structure... It could have potentially been a wraparound where you're going back to like them still telling the story and getting a few things that way. I I don't know, like just structurally how it's set up. It just feels more like it's beats instead of anything else. It's just, but go ahead, Chris, I cut you off. No, no, you didn't cut me off. Um, So the, the, like, well, like you've mentioned, I mean, it is cutting back between these two stories. You have Jesse C. Boyd playing the father who's becoming, you know, more of a drunkard and then becoming a actual fucking house of the dead monster because that is what it looks like. It looks like a, it looks, the CGI is so bad. It looks like a character you would fight. It's not that bad. It's pretty bad. (laughs) It looks like like it looks like a character you would fight in the House of the Dead arcade game. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw that in there at one point. It's so weird. It's amorphous. And I know that it's like, oh, it's splitting and it's going to take over the world. Like, who gives a shit? Like, that ending has no stakes for anything. Uh, that doesn't yeah. matter. That feels tacked on. I mean, honestly, it only feels like they're like the only five people that live in this universe anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think right. It doesn't feel like a fully fleshed out universe. No. Yeah. Well, I, they, mean, I don't even know where that came from. Like, like suddenly it's taken over the world. Like, well, that's but yeah. that but that is what that is from <laughs> the story. And the problem is, is I know you know this story was adapted by. Byron Williger and Philip de Blasi for it was, you know, the teleplay is by them. Why they chose to include that is so strange to me because that is wholly unnecessary in the grand scheme of the story they're trying to tell. And like, it doesn't do anything for the story. It doesn't do anything for the stakes. And ultimately the biggest disappointment that I have with this episode is the fact that you have Adrian Barbeau, Tobin Bell and Giancarlo Esposito in the same room together. And they do, Fuck all of nothing. And that's the biggest disappointment here. Really is. If we don't even like the source material, what does it matter? What could have worked is if, look, if these had been the last five people on Earth and the kid shows up and he's like, oh, I know how all this started. It started with me. And then the fucking creatures wipe them out. Like, at least yeah. then it would have been 
something interesting, but like it just feels so oh, out of right. left field. Because it's like they're in the middle of a storm or something, right? And that's why everybody's right. out of town. It reminds me of that. Uh, that you know, also reminds me of the X Files episode, Aguamala, the one with Darren McGavin, no. where where they're in oh, yeah. where they're in the apartment complex, and there's like monsters in the toilets. Which, by the way. That episode fucking sucks. And so... That was terrible. It's not reminding me of things that are good because that episode of Twilight Zone 1985 also sucks. So yeah. it's it's a really weird thing to lead with when this is It really is your- just feels like they led with it because it has Adrian... Because they, they packed it with the cast and it's a Stephen King story. And it's, so it's... Here's the creep show brand, boom. But and they here's Nicotero doing monsters and gross effects. Right. Okay. Who cares? Uh, yeah. This yeah. Is- the, the effects are good, though. They are good. Uh, the, I mean, I'm talking about the, the practical effects. They they do look right. Yeah. The practical stuff is awesome. When it first kind of goes from practical to CG, I thought that was really skillful. Um, mm-hmm. After that, clearly it's whatever. But like, f- there was a moment where it was like, oh, I, where I did not recognize whether it was CG or practical. And anytime you can do that in this day and age, I'm I'm all for it. Does it lead anywhere? I would agree. No, but but there was one moment where I was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah, it's like right when they're showing the sh- the light on it and I, it moves in a certain way, and I was like, is that a okay? I, I the thing the moment that I thought was the best moment of the entire episode is when he comes in and he sees his dad underneath the sheet and oh yeah that was thoroughly disgusting thoroughly chilling really upsetting he's like like a fucking monster underneath the sheet and it's like the sheet's gooey and like wet and shit like that i'm i'm there for that but everything else nah i'm good and also the comic book transitions Oh boy, don't just stop. Don't do them. You don't, we get it. It's supposed to be a, a comic book. But the Tales from the Crypt never did that. So why are no, you, but like, why are you The movie doing did, it? though. The movie does yeah, do that. And I, I agree with you in this segment that I don't think they work because I think it's strange that, like, the actors just. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I seem to be anticipating the transition sometimes, and I don't think it works in this segment. I do think it works in the next segment, though. But but yeah, that comic book, tra- that's how we get from one story to one story pretty much in creep show is you're following within the comic book right i don't mind the transitions from from end of story to beginning of story the the problem is when they do them sort of mid-story exactly. whereas romero romero was able to do it uh, so artfully that like there are times where you don't even recognize it's happening uh that's but, fair uh, but nicotero is not george romero well, here's the no, thing. So, not. so if we didn't like it, and if we didn't like the comic book transitions in this one, and we didn't like it in the next one, <laughs> I don't think we liked them. <laughs> Does that track? I mean, that's the problem. I mean, I get, I get what you guys mean as far as them being like in the middle of it, like you're going from scene to scene as a transition, which is weird. I will, and I do think it also takes away the limited time you have. Um, but I like them 
at the end and at the beginning. But I could oh, do yeah. without them in the middle for sure. Uh, well, I'm I'm 100% beginning and 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 if they're done uh, well and uh, almost subliminally uh, in the middle, then that's fine as well. Right. I mean, it's and hard like to throw in a transition that's splashy anymore without people like you know finding it jarring because nobody does anything like that anymore. But like even right. a wipe these days, it's like what the fuck was that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, I like it. I like it as the wraparounds. But then again, of course, why wouldn't you? It has the has the creep. Almost said the creeper, which is not the name of the character. Uh, before, before we talk about the next segment, the house of the head, I feel like I should let Father Malone take a moment to tell you his feelings on the newly revamped creep. Yes, indeed. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's real bad. I mean, it are looks you like kidding? A puppet. It looks like a puppet. Oh, a person's head. It is a puppet. With a, person, <laughs> with a person's hand in it. Boy, I've seen Elmo. Oh. Elmo has better puppetry than this thing. I wish it was a Muppet. I wish it they had gone that cartoony. I mean, look, when it's not gesticulating, it seems okay to me. And I don't hate the design of it because it's obviously based on the original. But, you know, look, if you go watch the original Creep Show film, the creep, as he is, like, physically, appears only in, like, two or three shots at the very beginning when he's hovering outside Joe King or Joe Hill's uh, bedroom window. That particular one was made they took a real skeleton and then they just built up around it and they articulated it only a little bit so its eyes would move its arm would move and its mouth would open and look man that was what 1982 like 37 years ago like that thing still looks great to me and the fact is they don't really require this new creep to do anything more than the original did. So why not just do exactly what they did before? Make that guy. Because what we're getting now, he's not talking. He's just kind of grunting and giggling a little bit. I don't hate it as much as you guys do. I like I like that it's a puppet. I, I enjoy that. But it's too Walking Dead zombie-like for me. Like, it's the sounds that it makes, the way it moves... All of that, and it just feels like it's like, okay, so the, it, it feels like somebody said, hey, the Walking Dead zombie thing, like, we need to get that in here somehow. Can we make it the creep? Which, I'm, I, that's, that's my main gripe. I like the puppet. I think it does look good. I do agree. I think we said this maybe off air. I agree with you, Mike, that the mouth is really dry. <laughs> yeah, like way too dry. Come on, man. Just fucking spritz it a little. Yeah, just, just a little moisture would be nice. I, I agree with you, Jess. It, it looks just... Oh, it's the walking dead guru in all of us. <laughs> it is the walking dead. Oh, it's... Yeah. It looks like a walking dead zombie in a wig. Like it looks I will like, say this. No, I don't know if they still do it in Walking Dead, because I haven't watched that show in seasons, but... When they would try and throw in a, a reference zombie, like, hey, did you see the zombie that looked like blah, blah, blah? It seems like that's like, it, hey, did you see the zombie that looked like the creep from Creepshow? <laughs> yeah, they actually did one. I mean, I, I, I Maybe like it's the you. Same I, yeah, I haven't watched the series in like, you know, ever. But uh, yeah, you know, it'll pop up in like my news feed sometimes, like, tonight on Walking Dead, they made a reference to the Dawn of the Dead zombie. Like, okay, great. They made a reference to Bub. Like, okay, good. Um, the one thing I do like about this creep is that uh, he continues not to talk. I, I, I thought that was a really good uh, 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 choice on their part. Uh, I like that he's just sort of fucking weird and going like, 
and just like point to the comic like this is the deal like you don't need to hear anything from me like even even though at the, in the uh, sort of introductory panels you'll see uh that he is introducing it uh vocally uh he, the puppet itself never actually speaks oh and you know speaking of the transitions in and out uh doubling back just for a second the 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 one for the the first story for uh gray matter that went on way too long. I would agree. Where they did the whole it first page, it was just like, there. and you're hearing it and seeing it at the same time. It's like, just fucking get us in there. Like, at least with the, the original Creepshow movie, you'd come to the one panel and then just go into it. You, they weren't giving us fucking six pages of dialogue while we're hearing the dial. It's like, we come on, it's a visual medium. Just get in there. It's a moving picture. Anyway. Show, don't tell. Yeah, man. That is ju- that is the overall... Oh, no, I'm not done. Of, ...of gray matter. <laughs> oh, God! This man's not finished. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, uh, the other thing is, uh, I actually liked the credit sequence, um, the sort of all of the different sort of uh, comic book uh, images, like appearing on the creep, even, if, even, if, even as CG as he is. Like, I liked that. Uh, the one thing that I miss more than anything and i missed it in creep show too as well is john harrison's original score from creep show now i'm sure that's a warner brothers thing and they own the rights to it and probably couldn't get it but that theme is one of if not well definitely my favorite horror theme of all time it's uh serious enough that you can take it as a straight horror movie and it's sort of tongue-in-cheek enough that you can get into it as a comic booky thing uh i thought i think that score is absolutely brilliant the score we got now i couldn't even hum it to you right now yeah i had I no watched idea the, what it I, was yeah i watched it a couple of times in fact i watched the credit sequence more than that because as i said i did like the visuals but i i, I couldn't hum a bar Mm-mm. yeah i really and i mean even if we couldn't have had the original score which i get i totally understand that i, I there could have just been a little more effort put in behind that. Just something more consistent. I don't. It just Get all on very it, guru. standard orchestral. Yeah. <laughs> well, Walking Dead guru, not composer <laughs> of music guru. <laughs> it, well, the crazy thing is, the director of the second segment is John Harrison, who composed the fucking music for the first film. Oh, yeah. So let's get to that segment, The House of the Head. So like Mike mentioned, or Father Malone, whatever his nom de plume I'm Father is Malone, today. brother. Okay, sorry, Hulk Hogan. Um, brother. <laughs> yeah. Br- brother. Uh, the, <laughs> the House of the Head is directed by John Harrison, written by Josh Mailerman. Now, Josh Mailerman's name might sound familiar to you if you jumped on the Bird Box bandwagon of 2019, which... I mean, I saw it. <laughs> well, I'm talking. I'm not, I'm not talking more about seeing it and more being like, this is the scariest shit, like... No. no. Nah. Not <laughs> I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, that's all part and parcel with the society we live in now where everything has to be the best or the worst. Yes, yeah, so you're, you're not breaking scary. a record or making something that's never been made before. You're evidently making a failure. But Exactly. Hmm. Midsummer, the craziest, scariest movie you've ever seen. No. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, whatever, internet, whatever clickbait media, whatever walking dead gurus. Um... So, The House of the Head is directed by, like Mike mentioned, Josh Harrison, who was the assistant John. director on Creepshow, the original. What did I say? Yeah, and... You said Josh. You said Josh. <laughs> oh, John Harrison. Josh Mallerman is the one who wrote it. Yeah. Sure. And he's a good director, John Harrison. He did a whole bunch of uh, Tales from the Dark Side uh, episodes, which was Romero's sort of follow-up to Creepshow on television. He directed, in fact, the Tales from the Dark Side movie, which I like a lot. Uh, he did that Dune miniseries movie. way back then. I think he's a. I think he's a really good filmmaker. That's all. 
<laughs> no, I would I would totally agree. I, I think that the Tales from the Dark Side movie is better than a lot of episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, but I think that he's a fantastic director and composer, obviously. I didn't like this segment. What? Okay, you're wrong. Okay, well, that's fine. I'm allowed to be wrong. You know why I didn't like it? Because... Because you hate children? <laughs> Ness, uh, <laughs> you know, fine. You're not wrong. No, I didn't like it because there were no stakes. And it was just... It It was played for laughs the entire way through. Okay, I See, thought there I were tons disagree. of stakes. And, and I stakes did not... I, 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 I was expecting... Even though this didn't pay off, like, I felt a... You know what? F- forget the family. Forget the actual living family in this story. Why this one affected me as much as it did and uh, why I'm going to go toe-to-toe with you on this is that it made me care about little figurines in a dollhouse. I was actually worried about them. I, I, that, to me, is as good as anything you're going to get on TV. Like, suddenly I'm invested in whether or not this fucking piece of plastic husband and wife are in danger from this a head it's it's just a head but like it's i don't know man i thought this was great like uh this is as good as in any of not any of the stories in creep show but you could have put this in the original creep show uh i would have been perfectly happy with it i'm not i'm not gaga over the ending of this particular one but uh i think i thought it was actually suspenseful uh, and i thought that little kid was great in it um and this is what i'm talking about like yeah, but talking about John Harrison, like as a director, like the fact that he was able to shoot these miniatures in such a way, and not only just the transitions from in and out from the, the sort of miniature world to our world and back, but like the fact that he kept me like hoping that these little figures were going to be okay. I think uh, I think this one's a win. Yeah, I I agree completely. I really when I when I watched Grey Matter, I got my because of my hopes were. Not, you know, astronomical for this show, but I was excited for it. I was, I wanted it to be good. I want it to do well. Um, and when Grey Matter happened, I'm like, it's like you said, it's not entire misfire. Okay, fine. Working out the bugs. This happened. This next segment happened. And I was, like you said, immediately in. And for me, the reason I liked this one so much was that, A, we get a couple creep show references that I think were done well, which we get a little uh, nod to the ashtray in the miniature yes. house. And I think maybe, I can't be for sure, but I think maybe the uh, Native American figurine she ends up getting is Old Chief Woodenhead from the first, from the second Oh, one. it 100% is. Yes. I thought, I thought so for sure. Um, but that aside, I, I, li- I think that's fan service done well, sidebar, but... The main reason and the crate that was I in like the attic. this, yes, yeah, oh yeah, that's true. The uh, main reason I really liked this is because this is—it's a story from a perspective that you don't often get to see, and that is a perspective that children have complex inner lives that they're dealing with all the time. That parents are entirely, you know, adults and parents are entirely oblivious to, and or don't take seriously because you are a child. And I think that, A, we don't see that a lot in stories having to deal with children. If if they're in there, they're usually just very two-dimensional. You don't get to know anything about them. They're either cute or bratty or not. They figure some kind of trope. This little girl was fantastic. And, yeah, like, I, I cared about the figurines. I wanted to know what was going on. And for me, I thought maybe that, like, once she pulled the head out of the the uh you know dollhouse that 
some of the stuff would start happening within her own home. That doesn't yeah, I was happen. But that, too. that doesn't happen. I do kind of I, I I like the ending just for a like I said just inner complex life of this child where she's like nope get that the fuck away from me like I'm good we're done I don't need to deal with it I handled it it's cool um, and yeah no I just love the miniatures I, I like seeing that I like that in a, in movies I liked it in Hereditary as just a set piece I just find it engaging when I see it and where this where the first story I think made a mistake of not being contained enough where it kept trying to jump back and forth, therefore diminishing a lot of its already short runtime. I think this one managed to pull that off a lot better, and that's because we're, A, dealing with slightly fewer characters. I mean, we're really just focusing on the little girl. Her parents are there, but they're just kind of oblivious parents. And you are pretty much just with her in her bedroom, going back to this house and trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to help this little family? What what am I going to do? I'm responsible for them. How do I make this happen? And I didn't need an explanation for the head. I liked the way that it was like, okay, fine. It's just there. The, the Smith Smiths are haunted. That's totally cool. <laughs> Christopher. Ah. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, <clears throat> again, I'm not willing to die on this hill. <laughs> So I don't care that much. Uh, it was okay. I mean, it's just whatever. Again, it, it just to me was just there are there were no stakes. There's a head in a dollhouse. It ends up not doing anything of substantive value outside of the kid's life. Like you mentioned, Jess, it is interesting to see a story being told. Um, you know, from a point of view we're not used to, but that's fine. Um, it's just it. There wasn't. Like, I wouldn't say either one of these segments were very good. I would say this is better than Grey Matter, because this is less formulaic than Grey Matter. But at the same time, I mean, I'm not going to go back and revisit this one either. And I just thought it was okay. It's just okay. It's not that great. And the ending is really weird. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Almost feels like they ran out of time. Exactly. <laughs> Again, that's my big, I think my biggest complaint with the show overall right now is that it just, I don't know why these segments are so short. I don't know why they didn't, even like a cool 30 minutes each would be nice, but like 22 minutes, 23 minutes, I don't know. You're not, you're sacrificing a lot. You know what it feels like? feels like werewolf. It does feel like werewolf. That's what I thought when I was watching. I'm like, ah, except at least, you know. The creep isn't running from town to town. <laughs> I mean, it might as well be. He's running Hiding from story from the comic to book story. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it just it. They don't let this. They don't give the stories enough time to breathe. And honestly, what I don't know is why they didn't do thirty minutes. Why they didn't just do one story an episode? Because yeah, yeah, and they I mean, could have easily done an hour on this last one. And I mean, Creep Show as a movie and an anthology movie is pretty long, and there's a lot of stories in the first. Creep show. I think what there's five, and that's five, five stories. Yeah, and it's it, it's exactly two hours. The film, right? And that's pretty long for an anthology film. I think most of them come in around an hour and a half ish. Yeah, usually. And there's not usually that many stories. It's usually like three longer ones or four. Like and it, tales it, is twenty seven minutes. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. That's that's the only one that I think has been able to nail this kind of runtime so far. Well, I mean, I guess that's not true. Twilight Zone original was only twenty some minutes. Again, you got to be working with the right kind of story. Yeah, I don't think this the, the last story necessarily needed more time. It just needed a stronger agree. ending. It just kind of like 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 it, the thing is we were supposed to kind of be shocked by seeing the little kid's he- thing with the head on uh, uh, again. 
Whereas I would have been totally satisfied had the woman just looked into that house and saw the family back and then looked over and saw the head. Like, this is going to happen again. Something like that. Right. Or if they would, like, when the little girl finds the actual, like, human sized head under her thing, if we had just cut away and cu- gone to, like, some yard sale where now when the person looks in the house, it's clearly her family are the, are the miniatures and there's the head. Something like. Uh, I was I mean, expecting a twist. Something. There was nothing. It was just like, and yeah, now it's I, gone. No twist. And, I, the and end. I'm totally fine with no twist. Like, the, she was just like, okay, well, now we need to get rid of this dollhouse. Like, there's nothing else we can do. It's it's haunted and whatever. And then that'd be the end. And just, that's it. But, like, don't try and give us a shock at the very end when there is no shock to be had. Um, right. You, I thought it, that was... It felt cl- tacked on. Yeah, it was, it was clumsy at the end there. But having said that, everything leading up to that... I thoroughly enjoyed in this one. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, it's as a sort of out there as throwing in the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill in the original uh, Creep Show. Like, that to me feels very EC. Like, not everything has to be a revenge story or, you know, uh, a love yeah, triangle. A, a come, a, a, or a love triangle or a comeuppance. Like, I don't necessarily need that. Sometimes horrible shit just happens, and here it is. Yeah. And I thought that was in keeping with the Creep Show tradition. So. Uh, I, if if they're going to produce more stories like this one, uh, as weird as it is, uh, like uh, I, you know, I'm on board. Clearly, we're going to be watching the rest of them anyway. But um, even if we weren't doing this, uh, I would definitely be tuning in for the next episode. Agreed. I kind of liked it. Like the whole time, every time she closed up the dollhouse, I like to imagine it was just chaos in there. Like it's just she closes it, and the whole house just goes insane. All the little figurines running around. I know, yeah, and I'm glad we never see them moving. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, wait, and, and now they're here. I was, and I like, I was it, hoping it, it, for something out of the Indian in the cupboard. Yeah, that's it was definitely, I, felt, I had those vibes. But, oh, the other thing I liked about it, like, in this sort of speaking to what you were saying, Jess, about, you know, kids do have an amazing inner life that we do not give them credit for. Um, mm-hmm. This child is not just, like, a an observer of what's going on. She's actually trying to solve their problem. Like, not only right. does she go – like she goes and gets a cop, first of all, thinking, like, well, the cop will be able to solve it. Oh, okay. A real-world solution is not the answer for these people. We need to find some sort of mysticism. Something spiritual. Uh, yeah, and uh, – Okay, the, the guy tells me an old Indian's going to fix the problem. We'll put him in there, too. Oh, nope, that doesn't work either. I guess there's nothing I can do. Um, I, I really liked it. I, and they, they did a moment, too, where uh, the, the family is together, like, watching TV, and the parents have fallen asleep, and she wakes up. Like, I think I, – I, I don't know that I experienced that as a child, but I remember moments like that where it feels like you're all alone in the world. Like, nothing can help yeah. you. Um, uh, even if your parents are present in the room with you, sometimes you feel so isolated. And I think that – this particular story sort of tapped into that, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And, sh- I mean, that actress is fantastic. It's not often that you get child actors who can, like, emote and, and have that sort of range. But she – I liked her a lot. And Yeah, I don't know that the episode would have been as successful without her. Because, uh, like, look, in in Grey Matter, they have an older kid uh, playing, playing uh, like, uh, as, as active, if not more – uh, role and that kid was terrible. Oh, yeah, I, I did was, not like him at all. Very just flat. Yeah, and sure. <laughs> oh, shut up. Hey, whatever, man. Like I said, <laughs> you're entitled to your opinion, and I'm not even saying your opinion's wrong. You're entitled to. It. Well, that's because it isn't. It resonated with you in a way that it didn't resonate with me. Go fuck yourself. Two on oh. one, baby. Welcome to the podcast, Jess. 
<laughs> Give me a two by four and a nail, and I'll smash it into my own forehead. Thank you very much. Oh, jeez. So, um, <laughs> on the next creep show bonus episode, we're going to be taking a look at the second episode, which is broken into two segments: Lydia Lane's better half and the man in the suitcase. And the man in the suitcase. I am super excited. Have you guys read the synopsis for it? It sounds insane. A college student brings the wrong bag home from the airport only to find a pretzeled man inside, afflicted by a strange condition that turns his pain into gold. That sounds fucking insane. That's, hmm. Yeehaw. Sounds better than some bullshit haunted dollhouse. Oh, yes. Did you guys watch any of the Channel Zero segment, uh, seasons? No, no, that's something I need to look into. I've been told to they're, watch it. A, they're fantastic, but B, I think it's the third season has the you said Pretzel Man, and I I, I hope that it, it's probably not the same actor, but I would be really really happy if it was who played this similar sort of. He's just like a contortionist in the show. His, his character moves in all these really weird ways. But if you haven't seen that, that's another good anthology show as opposed to different stories each episode. It's just different stories each season. But highly ah, recommended. What a, what a niche role this guy has found if he's in this episode. Right. I'm pretzel excited. Man. Pretzel Man. A pretzel, pretzel man. man. I wonder if it's if his character's going to be his character's name is going to be R Gold. Get it? Rolled Gold? Uh, dun, dun. I crack myself up with my stupid Comedy with a K, jokes. baby. Comedy with a K. Oh, God. So until then, where can people find you, Jess? You can find me on Twitter at writer Jess Byard. You can also find me on our podcast, Chris, the one season show where we cover shows that only lasted one season. And we are halfway through 1987's Werewolf. So it's October. It's werewolf season. Check it out. Where can people find you, Father Mal One Seventy Three? You can find me, Father Malone, at uh, my YouTube channel, Odd Five Films. I got two shows on there uh, you've never seen about uh, movies and such, and I've got a new show called Unaired Pilots, which uh, which is actually uh, written and directed by Father Malone himself. I don't actually know the guy. Uh, you can also hear me on another podcast I do with you, Chris called uh, Dreams for Sale, the Twilight Zone 85 podcast, which we do with our good friend, Mr. Mike White. And as for me, the contrarian on this podcast, which happens very infrequently, it feels like, more frequently on Chronicles than anything else, you can find me on Twitter at Casualty underscore Chris. I do the Culture Cast once to twice a week, talk about movies. Sometimes Father Malone is there, sometimes Jess is there. Who knows? Check it out. See who's there this... Also, I do a podcast with Mike White called The Kolchak Tapes, where we talk about Kolchak the Night Stalker. And you can find that one over at kolchaktapes.com. Big thanks, as always, to Mr. John Kassir for the intro-outro to Chronicles from the Crypt and to you, Jess, because you're joining us for this six-episode bono episodo Fun menagerie. I don't know where I was going with fun that. Fun-timo. So. <laughs> fun-timo. Bono episodo fun-timo. That's a good one. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>